Welcome back to another episode of the Bills Beat here. However, you are joining us. My name is Joe Biscaglia. With me, as always, Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic. The last time we spoke to you, we had a, uh, you know, a solid 18 to 20 minute conversation with Brandon Bean, the GM of the team. We learned some things and we talked some, uh, talked about some positions conceptually. And I think now, since we're in the approach, uh, I guess to landing, so to speak, if you want to use the the plane analogy, that uh, we can start getting into some of these positions, and you know we'll be going through and probably looking at at some of these prospects that are out there and maybe how they would fit the bills. But I, I think I want to I want to start this first one off because it's it's still a, a position that you know gets a lot of buzz. From Bills fans, even though it was addressed to a large degree in free agency, and that, of course, is wide receiver. So I think where the idea of the conversation should go, at least just to start of it, before we getting get into the actual prospects, and it's going to be a natural transition, I think, but about how much a wide receiver should be valued for the Bills, considering that they have who they have on their roster now. So, I don't know, I think I think it's a lot more of a complex discussion than it was, you know, um, before last week even started, that Cole Beasley and John Brown signed on board. What about you? Yeah, I think you can also probably lump in tight end with this because it's sort of the same idea. Um, probably just particularly TJ Hawkinson. Maybe... Noah Font as well. Um, but with that number nine pick, you're probably just talking about Hawkinson. Uh, and I think those are in the NFL kind of merging positions almost in a way because you've got, you just want as many pass catchers as possible. Um, and they all need to do a little something different. There's, you know, different roles now for wide receivers, I think, than there used to be with the emergence of the spread offense and everything else. So, I think the conversation from a Bills perspective definitely changed with John Brown and Cole Beasley being added, but it didn't change drastically because long-term, you're still looking for that true number one guy, um, or you're still looking for guys that are long-term answers, whether they're number one guys or not. You don't know if Zay Jones or Robert Foster are locks to be long-term answers, And just because of age, you know that Cole Beasley and John Brown probably aren't super long-term answers either, and the contracts are structured that way. So really, this is almost a, as with tight end, it's almost a DK Metcalf conversation because he's the guy that seems to be linked to the Bills at number nine most often. And so if this were a conversation about A.J. Green Mm -hmm. or Julio Jones or I'm trying to think who else has been drafted that high uh, in recent years. Even Odell Beckham, Mm -hmm. even Sammy Watkins uh, when he came out. Mike Evans. Then I think it might be a slightly different conversation. I just don't know if D.K. Metcalf is quite on their level. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that he's not worth a first-round pick, but I do think... From a value perspective, the way this draft shakes out, 
there's a lot of talent clustered in the second and third round where spending a really high pick on DK Metcalf might not be the best use of resources. Well, let me let me come back to DK Metcalf in just a second. I think I think this conversation um, also is equal to what they do in rounds two and three. And if wide receiver should actually be a consideration in those rounds, considering that they have the two free agents that they signed, but that they also want to find out about both Zay Jones and Robert Foster. And by drafting a wide receiver, that would, in fact, take away reps from one of those guys or the free agents you just signed. And it would create a very crowded wide receiver room. That's not to say it would be a bad thing by any means, because you don't exactly know if Zay Jones is going to take that next step that you want him to, or you know if uh, if Robert Foster is going to return to the same form he had over the last six games of the season. Th- these are these are things that you cannot guarantee heading into 2019. So that that's where this whole discussion kind of gives me hesitation because I think it really depends on at least theoretically, what type of receiver you want to bring in and what type of receiver would be best for uh, for Brian Dable's scheme. And they've gone out, they've, they've added a very obvious outside guy. They've added a very obvious slot guy. And Zay Jones and Robert Foster have both proven themselves to be very obvious outside guys as well. But I wonder if maybe... Going out, going into this draft, maybe they, if they're going to spend one, maybe it's for a guy who kind of blends the two a little bit more than any of the players that they have on their roster currently, because they, they just don't have that that type of threat on their team. And there are some names out there that, that we'll get into as we kind of go on, but I think I think there's a type, and I'm not sure it's just a an outside only receiver. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think. Size is probably the characteristic that they lack in the wide receiver room at the moment. And I get where, you know, people see DK Metcalf and size is certainly one of his best attributes as is speed, uh, Mm -hmm. at least in a straight line. And that's where I think you, that's where almost the, the whole number one receiver conversation is going is a guy that can do a little bit of both a guy that can be a big slot receiver. You know, there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with putting your number one receiver in the slot to create a mismatch. And so you need to be, you know, a good enough route runner to handle running routes from various spots on the formation and also have the, you know, skill set to create separation from those various spots. But I do think there is a little bit of a size element. That's probably the one thing you could point to with this wide receiver group and say it's still lacking. They have, what, you'd say four solid guys right now, mm-hmm. but they're all, I would say, you know, B receivers, you know, and maybe you can get by with yeah. with having a bunch of those guys, but... B at best. Yeah, they're still lacking, you know, yeah, at their best. You know, Zay Jones has probably been mostly a C-level receiver. Yep. Um, and Robert Foster, you know, if you cancel out you know his highs and his lows um that's kind of where he falls too so even john brown over the course of his career hasn't always been you know that that super high level guy so that's where it becomes an argument of whether you need one uh and whether anybody in this draft is one 
And I think certainly there are some guys in this draft who will who will end up being, you know, big time receivers. But as you mentioned, it's all about where you put them um, and the type of skill set and how they fit into the offense, how they fit with Josh Allen. And, you know, once you can kind of figure that out, then you can justify taking a guy as high as nine if you think somebody's worth it or uh, in the second or third round because there could still be a role for one of them. Uh, I think the draft at wide receiver will tell us a lot about how they feel about Zay Jones and Robert Foster because signing John Brown and Cole Beasley was kind of necessary because they needed bodies. Mm -hmm. But if they go out and get some younger guys too that can really push Zay Jones and Robert Foster, then you know that they're not super comfortable with those guys, and nor should they be at this point. As we've talked about, I I think they've shown they'll do anything in their power to surround Josh Allen with talent. So I have no reason to think they would look at this receiver class and say, well, none of these guys can help. I mean, I think particularly this class has a lot of big-bodied guys that you didn't see them add one of those, and there's not one on their roster. So that's where, you know, my mind has me thinking they'll probably, you know, look to dip their toes into that that market. You you would think just because that's the way that they they go about their business at most other positions where they value the size, the prototype, the the genetic advantage that uh, that those players naturally have over others on the field that don't have those physical gifts. But I think when you look at um, Robert Foster, and I know he's kind of a darling in the fantasy football community, definitely has endeared himself to Bill's fans over the way that he was cut, then brought back, and then came back with a vengeance. But I think I, I must have said this on this podcast already, but I need to reiterate it because it's a very important point to simply turn your uh, turn your attention away from the fact that he did nothing all summer and into the fall to the point in which they had to cut him to wake him up cannot under any circumstance be be taken away from this conversation about him because for all the good that he did he did some pretty bad and as you said before the, to go to his grade it kind of cancels each other out at, at that point. So I know people want to think, okay, well, he showed all these signs at the end of his rookie season. This is great. He's, he's, he's an ascending talent, all those good things. And that can still be true. But there's no guarantee that it is with him because there was such a varying result. And that he's a home run hitter. I mean, that scares me, though, a little bit if, numbers, if I was them. Most of his numbers were you know, because of how good he was down the field. And you you don't take those away because that's what he does. And his speed is, is big time, and that's why uh, he had the success that he did. However, as teams get more used to seeing him and things like that, it might be a little bit tougher for him to, you know, create that type of separation and, and put up those types of numbers. That will be a big test. They don't have a lot invested in him. Mm-hmm. They're not necess- They're not going to bank on Robert Foster, nor should they. Um, I think you know everything about what they did at wide receiver could be good for Robert Foster. I don't think you know he showed enough that cutting him would 
seem to be pretty drastic um, unless he's a disaster in camp in the preseason. But he wasn't very good last year in camp in the preseason and, and the light bulb came on. So, uh, you know, when real games started being played. So it's one of those things where he's probably on the roster, but you feel better about your roster if Robert Foster is your number four um, yeah. or your number five even uh, if they Ooh, bring would, in somebody else. That would kill the, the, the fantasy folk that love him. It would. Inside. And this probably won't be a very great, team for fantasy purposes oh, gosh, at no. wide receiver because it'll probably be a different guy every week. It'll probably be hard to figure out which guy it's going to be, but that could make for a more successful offense. Last year it was, well, especially down the stretch, Josh Allen's going to throw to Robert Foster because he has nobody else to throw to. Um, and now he has some options and, you know, I think they'd be smart to to give them at least one or two more in the draft between wide receiver and tight end. Yeah, I I think I agree with that, and specifically at tight end. But if you brought up the name, let's shift it now to the DK Metcalf portion because this has been a player that has been heavily linked to the Bills, both before and after free agency. After their, uh, and by linked, I mean mock drafts, like crazy still DK Metcalf DK Metcalf DK Metcalf nine to the bills and I've always had my reservations about it just because I guess it has to be just this overwhelming talent for me to take a wide receiver that early in the draft specifically now in today's NFL and I I love wide receiver play it's it's one of my favorite positions to watch and to break down and everything like that and but the idea that this guy in Metcalf has just rocketed up boards because of workouts at the combine to me is a little bit foolhardy. Um, so then you go to the tape. You, you you go and watch him, or in this case, YouTube videos being the tape, and you try and figure out okay, what exactly is this dude? And I'll tell you what, like. I I don't know about you, I did not come away just enamored by him. And I know it, it all depends on what you value and everything along those lines. But for Metcalf, I think, like you pointed out earlier, I, I think he's got a spot in the first round. Would I be investing a, a tenth or a top ten pick in him? Or, you know, a, the ninth overall selection in him when... You have four capable receivers on your roster already. I probably say no. That and again, that's just me. I, I just think there's too many questions about him and his ability to to run the entire route tree. And if I'm taking a player at nine overall, especially a wide receiver, I don't want to have to run into a situation where this guy needs one to two years to to come of age and and to go for it. It, and that's best case scenario. I need someone that knows what he's doing and is able to produce for you right away. And I'll tell you what, when 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 it when it came down to running anything other than straight line, if he had to try and deceive the the cornerback right away at the line of scrimmage, he's got slow feet to try and make his cuts, and that to me is a no no. And it really bothers me in terms of how he'll be able to separate at the next level. And the Bills 
they they had enough problems with separation over the last two years. Yeah, I think the problem with DK Metcalf, even when you you know the the combine was kind of crazy because he's so big and he ran so fast. Yeah, he's um, he's a physical freak, but no doubt. He was also pretty bad in the other in some of the other testing uh, drills, particularly you know the ones that measure that short area quickness that you're mm-hmm. talking about. And you know at Ole Miss, not always asked to run the whole route tree, probably doesn't know the whole route tree, and that's how a lot of these colleges tend to operate. Um, I almost, I think there's a real conversation to be had uh, between whether he was the best receiver at Ole Miss. I don't think he was. And I, I think the reason I'm hesitant about Metcalf at nine and have been pretty much from the start, I mean, there's the injury part of it, um, which, you know, you hope he's good, but, right. th- you know, a neck injury is certainly something to monitor. But I also look at the other guys in the class and see a lot of other big receivers who may not run as fast in a straight line, but can do more. Mm-hmm. Um, Hakeem Butler, mm-hmm. J.J. Arkea-Whiteside, uh, guys like that that you think, you know, probably are, even if they're 90% of DK Metcalf, which maybe they're not. You know, there's, I think this receiver class is not just DK Metcalf and everybody else. I don't mm-hmm. think there's that wide of a gap. And that's why the value in the top 10 doesn't make a tremendous amount of sense. Yeah, I agree there. I think... With Metcalf, one of my reservations, beside the injury, is that he just, it seemed like he just disappeared sometimes at Ole Miss. And then all of a sudden, boop, pops up, eh, gets a 50-yard catch. So so what are you telling me? You're, you're drafting Robert Foster? Is that is that is what that what I you're doing? What I will say is that does kind of fit with almost how they built this offense. It does. Which is recognizing that Josh Allen is a... Very high variance quarterback mm-hmm. built on big plays, and they've almost recognized that and said, "All right, you know, let's give him some time in the pocket by loading up on offensive linemen, and let's make this, you know, a a fun offense in that way where we're going to make some big plays. We'll probably have some three and outs, but there will be guys on the field at all times that can hit home runs, and so." Do you need one more of those? I think is probably the question because right. you already have not to say DK Metcalf is John Brown because the size comparison, you know, doesn't make any sense, but in terms of what you'd be asking them to do, not a great deal different. You know, those guys are guys you're asking to stretch the field vertically and and hit home runs and Robert Foster hasn't shown to be a lot more than that yet either. So while it fits a little bit of their philosophy, uh, the way they seem to be trending, um, it's not necessarily. Again, it's not. I don't think it's the best use of resources. Right, probably the bigger problem. Yeah, it, it, the value just doesn't match the the pick. And if, if they were to trade down and get them at like eighteen, fine, so be it. But again, I'll go to another problem I have with it. He's very one dimensional in the fact that he doesn't offer that versatility that we talked about at the beginning of the episode when. Maybe they need someone that has a little bit more to them so that way they can move all over the field as opposed to just locked into one spot, one side of the field, which is essentially what Metcalf was at Ole Miss. And, you know, I know we're we're kind of 
tearing down the idea of of the Bills drafting Metcalf at nine. There's still a lot to like with DK Metcalf. I mean, you obviously have a potential home run hitter that's super physical that can go up and get the ball and and those types of things. And there is some potential there if if you are able to develop it. But serious questions have to be brought up if they're going to consider taking that player in the top 10, if they consider that to be of value. Now, furthermore, is wide receiver really a, a premium position in Brandon Bean's mind with uh, in regards to just taking it, taking the best guy on the board, even if he might not be of top 10 caliber? Because sometimes you do that where... Uh, I mean, premium positions out there, quarterback, defensive end, defensive tackle, offensive line, those types of spots that, that you build your team around. I mean, that's, that's basically the way the, the Bills have kind of talked in terms of what they value most and how they've acted as well. But is wide receiver that to them? And I'm, I'm not sure that it necessarily is. So it, there's, it's a very complex situation or discussion about uh, wide receiver in general, but I'm inclined to agree with you that if they're going to take one, I would much rather it be in a trade down scenario or really more than that at 40 or where are they? 72, 73 in, in the third round. Um, Because I think there is more value to be had there. And I, I think there's, this is a pretty solid class in terms of being able to pick one up to develop in in that second third round range. I mean, guys like his own teammate, who I think I I might even like him better than DK Metcalf. AJ Brown, I I love the guy. I think he's got star potential. I mean, he, you put him inside at slot, you put him outside a receiver. He doesn't have the height. He's like six feet tall, but he's solid, like two twenty five. Just a just a freak athlete. He'll kill you in yards after catch. Super smooth route runner. I I just think that guy has, is exactly what today's NFL wants out of a receiver. But, you know, he's going to be pushed down the board because he doesn't have those elite physical traits as a DK Metcalf would. And you brought up Arcega Whiteside. Um, Hakeem Butler you brought up. I, I think Butler has a chance to be really stinking good in the league. Uh, so there are seriously some, some guys that are available in that second, third round range that the Bills, if they want, a receiver could go for and still not have to waste a top 10 pick on. Nikhil Harry is another one that was when people talked about this group a couple of years ago, when they were young recruits kind of bursting onto the scene, Harry and Metcalf were like the two that everybody talked about. And I think Nikhil Harry, you know, he's not without his flaws, but he is a guy that can be that bigger slot receiver that Mm -hmm. we talked about. And that's where I think he's another one of those guys that can be 80% of Metcalf or 90% of Metcalf because the second round seems like it's loaded with them. And you wouldn't want to see the Bills make the same mistake they made in 2014 when they took Sammy Watkins and kind of sold the farm when that class was loaded. And... You know, this class isn't as loaded at the top, but after the first 25 picks or so, a lot of these guys are going to come off the board. Mm -hmm. And that's only talking about one specific type of receiver because you've got Hollywood Brown and Debo Samuel who could both. Debo Samuel is the one where 
you say, okay, they added Cole Beasley. Would they go get Debo Samuel? I think they should. Uh, I think Debo Samuel would be a great addition to this lineup. And you hesitate to think that because they invested X amount of dollars in even like a, you know, a guy like Cole Beasley, Mm -hmm. that they would ignore a talent like Debo Samuel, who one of one of my favorite players to watch in college football this year. Lil Jordan Humphrey is another one uh, from Texas. He's huge. Um, another one that almost fits that Nikhil Harry, bigger slot receiver type of mold, if you want to put him there. So if you're looking for size and speed, a lot of guys have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of them are more refined probably than DK Metcalf is, and they won't cost you an arm and a leg uh, the way he will. But it all you know, goes into the bigger discussion of, you know, how wide open they are at that pick to do kind of whatever they want. Right. I don't know that I, you know, Metcalf would be one of those picks that would probably get a lot of people excited, but I'd be whelmed by. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a great word for it. But I don't know that you would think they were crazy for taking a receiver on yeah. on the surface. Right. Um, it's a matter of the fit and the player and all that, but. My bigger issue is with the value in this class. And I think, you know, as we dive into more of these guys, you you just see there's not a big gap between Metcalf and everybody else if he's even the guy standing at the top. I think, you know, Hakeem Butler is one that um, some people think he's the best receiver in this draft. Uh, Calvin Harmon is somebody that we haven't mentioned. Yes. I really like a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think is a fringe, you know, first second round talent um a guy that you know did a lot at uh nc state moved around a lot jacoby myers his teammate at nc state probably fits more into the debo samuel bucket um of a slot guy but he's really good andy isabella from umass another slot guy but can probably play a little bit outside for you point being there's a lot of names we can throw at you that are that will present better value Mm -hmm. at the end of the day yeah Totally agree. And the one that I want to kind of focus on here is Hakeem Butler because he is one of the draft darlings this year. I mean, if you follow along on Twitter, then you know there's a certain amount of guys every single year that are just universally loved and they feel as though they're undervalued by by the NFL. So whenever I see a, a player universally loved on Twitter... My initial reaction is skepticism, just because it's like, okay, well, not everyone can love this guy. Like, there's got to be a reason why he's not where where people think he should be. So when watching Hakeem Butler and, and figuring out exactly uh, what he is, who he is, really his only limitation is a word that you used before, variance. And that's just because I don't know if he's as refined just yet. There are some games he absolutely dominates, and he consistently separates from good players out there. He's like, he's lights out in that respect. He's got the speed. He's got the size at six foot five. He's got the length. Uh, he he wears number eighteen, and so a lot of people thinks think he looks like AJ Green. I even read Greg Cosell's scouting report on him, and he brought up the name of AJ Green, only not as refined. And it it's it's an apt comparison, but you can't ignore the other games where 
his feet, his footwork aren't as quick against press coverage as you would like it to be. When some other games, it is. It's just, it's difficult to understand what what the uh, what the reason for all that differentiation or differentiation there is because it's. I I really liked him. I really liked what he brought to the table, and also the fact he you can line him up in the slot too. They did that a bunch at Iowa State. It's for me with him. I like him, but I'm also somewhat scared by him, and that doesn't mean I wouldn't take him at forty by any means. I. I think I, I'm being a wide receiver guy as I am. I probably would do it just because I think he has the highest potential there. But that's also some risk involved with high potential guys because they also tend to have the uh, the lowest floor going. And I'm I'm afraid of Butler in that respect. But I'm also a risk taker. <laughs> yeah, and again, when we talk about how they built this offense, you could argue that a guy like that fits the same way you know DK Metcalf does in the sense that he had 721 of his yards on deep passes this year according to pro football focus he is a deep ball machine Mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of ways and so you know that part of his game excites you I think the problem probably presents itself where it's harder to catch deep balls in the NFL than it is in the big 12 yeah Um, and so he has a lot of great physical attributes and you know his when you watch him he looks really good because but i do think part of that is you're playing at, you know a, a, against defensive backs that are really among the worst in the country mm-hmm. year in and year out and so it can be a little bit harder to judge a guy who's catching a ton of deep passes against guys like that but you don't throw him out either because he's he's a guy that is making big play after big play, great body control when he does it. And right. so the traits will translate, but it might not be a right away type of thing. And again, they have home run hitters. Um, and so finding a guy that is a little bit more complete um, maybe would be preferable. But once you get into that second, third round, then you're talking about you know, taking some chances and, you know, the the risk involved isn't the same as taking DK Metcalf right. at number nine. I mean, I'll, you know, in terms of guys that are available on day two, Butler is a, a fine pick, I think. Uh, you could also make a case for a lot of the other receivers we talked about, which is kind of the fascinating part about this class. It makes it hard to pinpoint exactly who they'll like. Uh, but it, it makes it a fun receiver class to talk about because I feel like so many of them are lumped close together and so much of it will depend on, you know, kind of your your taste, um, uh, for lack of a better term. Yeah, specifically if we're looking at Metcalf versus Butler in a vacuum because I feel like these are two of the most popular names among draft, amongst draft Twitter and certainly Bill's draft Twitter. Um, truth be told, I would much rather have Butler at 40 than I would at Metcalf at 9. And there's a few reasons for that. Butler having the versatility to play in the slot. I would rank Butler's footwork to be maybe not notably better, but definitely better than Metcalf in terms of being able to consistently separate. 
and having uh, you know the the change of direction that maybe Metcalf lacks and that those um, those scores from the combine indicated with him. And plus the fact I think the the high potential is is there at a better value with Butler. So I I, I like Butler's footwork. I think he can separate at the NFL level level. I just want to see him do it more consistently. That's that's really all it is with him. Um, another guy that I really like that I think fits into that versatile, you could play him inside, you can play him outside role besides A.J. Brown um, for the Bills is someone we brought up already, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. And I think with him, what he brings to the table best is really good feet. I'm big on the footwork with, with receivers. And his ability to, and I don't know why more receivers don't do this, to box people out for jump balls. Like, he, he's a rebounder. There's That's exactly how he goes about his business. He gets his hip into the defender. He, he brings his other foot around. He squares up his shoulders to the ball, and he goes up and gets it. And he's able to win the contested catch. And the Bills, do they have a contested catch guy right now? I don't think they do. I mean, if, if you want to throw Tyler Croft in there, but he's, he's the tight end, obviously. And so our Sega Whiteside, if he has that speed that you're looking for, he has that footwork, you can push him inside and outside, has that versatility. That's someone, to me, that's of high value to a Brian Dable system because he also offers you something that you don't have, even, even though he doesn't have the prototypical height to be a, a, a jump ball guy. He's... That is one of his strongest assets to a team, and he will, he, in college at least, dominated defensive backs in jump ball situations. He constantly won those situations, and in, in the fact that Stanford would just continuously throw to him because they knew there was such a high percentage on those lower presenters' throws, if we're being honest. Both of his parents played basketball. Did you know this about him? No, I didn't, but uh, that doesn't surprise both, me in the Both of them played basketball professionally. Um, in Spain and Portugal, and both of his uncles were on Spain's Olympic team uh, in the 80s. Yep, that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. And he was an all-state basketball player himself. Uh, and so that is where it show it shows up on the football field, I think, in a big way. And you don't find a lot of guys that can do that um, and kind of I still think he's a guy you could probably throw in the slot occasionally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he showed it at Stanford. You're, if you're willing to be a little bit creative. Um, but like you mentioned, there's not a lot of guys that you point to on the roster and, and think that they're going to win a, uh, a 50-50 ball necessarily. Mm-hmm. And so the way Josh Allen plays, I think a guy like that makes sense. And that's why I think... When we talked to Brandon Bean last week, he mentioned looking at the draft and getting in free agency what you don't think you'll be able to get in the draft. True. They did not get anybody in free agency that can do what that kid can do. Mm -hmm. And so he's one that stays on the radar. You know, maybe that doesn't mean they won't get a vertical threat, you know, that's similar to John Brown, but I do think they're going to look at if they're looking at receivers guys that do something different and i think when we look at this class 
we talk about so many of these guys, and they all, a lot of them have that size um, and the physicality that's lacking, quite frankly, in this wide receiver group. I mean, unless you want to talk about Duke Williams, because he's kind of that physical type of guy, but he's also on our futures contract. Mm-hmm. So um, hardly a guy that they're banking on to to be even on the roster. So that's where that's why my eyes have wandered to the Kelvin Harmons of the world, um, guys that are bigger and can you know win in contested situations be, because I think more and more, um, and this is probably true over time even uh, if you if you go back over the years, getting separation in the NFL is not easy Mm-mm. by any means. So that's where guys like Hakeem Butler, and even DK Metcalf, guys that won a lot because they were getting open down the field or running by guys in college or um, winning um, in contested situations uh, in a lesser uh, against lesser talent. You're almost looking for the, the guys that can handle not getting open. Um, so lack of separation isn't always a huge knock on a guy coming out of college because that just means he learned how to do it without separation. Um, and obviously, on some level, you need to get a little bit open in the NFL, but you're right. not going to be that open uh, to begin with. So finding a way to you know, make it work the way Arcega Whiteside did, I think is you know, a very valuable trait. Yeah, no doubt. And I, that's why this uh, the more and more you think about it, it's it just doesn't make a ton of sense for the Bills to push all their chips in at ninth overall at wide receiver. It's not where the, where the value goes. And Brandon Bean has made it abundantly clear through all of his moves, or most of his moves, I should say, that he's after value over the splash or even over need because sometimes the need and value meet up, but you didn't see him going after some of the huge names that were out there, even though the need existed within their roster. So that's why when you look at ninth overall, if they were to stay there, then the defensive line and the offensive line, and perhaps even tight end probably fires into the uh, equation above all else, because that's likely where you're going to have to capitalize on the value that exists because you don't know if that value will be available to you on uh, when you come around next on the board at 40th overall. Whereas with wide receiver, there could be four, maybe five wide receivers gone and you're still going to get a good one. And that's that's really where the rubber meets the road on that discussion. Um, by the way, Matthew Fairburn, if since we're going to shift into some more serious matters at hand. The Come On Darlene bracket has a champion. It sure does. Uh, at long last. At long last, through all of these votes from our loyal listeners, Come On Darlene has an initial champion and one that will be challenged by next year's champion. I just made a decree. And as a special treat to you all, I went back and I found the raw footage of the champion of the 2018 Come On Darlene Bracket. It was between 
Sean McDermott for saying, I've got to watch the film after Nathan Peterman's performance against Baltimore in which they got blown out versus Vontae Davis for not only retiring at halftime, but for leaving the stadium entirely. And the winner of the 2018 Come On Darlene bracket is... I don't know what you want to do. Come on, Darlene. <laughs> I'm just, just going to do it. I think there's a chance this thing runs away with the bracket when, <laughs> when we put out the bracket. The Come On Darlene Award is Vontae Davis for leaving the freaking stadium at halftime. Sorry, I, I just clipped the, the, uh, the levels there and probably hurt your ears, so I apologize for that. But it was... Oh my god! What happened out there? So it wasn't a surprise. At least not to me. I know our buddy, Prescott Rossi, came into the media room last Thursday and said, Sean McDermott's running away with this thing. It, it, it's, it had, he was convinced Sean McDermott had to run away with it. Never take bracket advice from Prescott Rossi. <laughs> I've often said that. And I thought he was out of his mind when he said that. As did I. Fonte Davis, I thought, from the moment we opened this up, quite frankly, I didn't know that Sean McDermott was going to make this type of run. Yeah. Um, Vontae Davis was obvious, I thought, from the moment this thing opened. He is, it could, he had his own award named yes. after him because of what he pulled. It was such a strong, you know, candidate for Come On Darlene that we had to make an award above uh, Come On Darlene. So sometimes... You know, the chalk wins. Yep. And it might do it in the NCAA tournament this year with, with Duke. Basically, Vontae Davis was Zion Williamson, if if we're just being honest here. I mean, just the the sheer favorite to, to go and do the damn thing. And he did it. The final vote, Vontae Davis accrued 68% of the vote. So it was... Uh, Closer than a lot of the other contests that Vontae Davis was involved in, but at the end of the day, still a blowout. So Vontae Davis, for retiring at halftime and leaving the stadium in Week 2 against the Los Angeles Chargers, is the winner of the 2018 Come On Darlene bracket. I'm a little sad it's over, if we're being honest. There will be another one. Next year, yes. There has to be now. I feel like now it will only make uh, our choices stronger, knowing that they will be put into bracket form. I hope so. I think it will it will help, you know, focus our thinking a little bit. But keep in mind, the final of this tournament came down to two things that actually happened on the field. It wasn't. I mean, some of our absurd choices made a run, but for the most part, it was things that actually happened that people knew about. Three of the final four were Sean McDermott, Vontae Davis, Jerry Hughes for not acknowledging that he just chased down a referee and screamed in his face. The fourth one was for you not mentioning Blaine Gabbert on the previous podcast and ruining the streak. So. The, Gone but not forgotten. Right. The upper deck man boob they, mans. They have to be memorable. The they vasectomy be, man. Uh, as we saw when we made the bracket, there were a few that, you know, you look back and kind of wonder, 
Matt what, Dar? Yeah, what, you know, <laughs> and hey, some weeks there's just not a very good, very good candidate and you True. have to get a little creative, but um, overall, uh, a good first rendition of yeah. the bracket, I think. And that strong choice by the, uh, most years I don't think there will be such an obvious winner as right. Dante Davis, because you would think most years somebody won't retire at halftime and leave the stadium. It was a national story. It was a national story right from the second it started, right from the second that Vontae Davis wasn't on the sideline. And then the Bills said, not injury-related, very obviously, when he was not uh, on the field. And then, poof, he's gone. Off into the distance. And he was actually playing okay. He had a tackle. He had that big play that seemed like he was... He was feeling pretty good about himself, and I think in his mind he was like, "Yeah, this is a good way la- to go out. I'm <laughs> going to go out on top. I made a tackle on third down. I guess. Ah, uh, gone but not forgotten. Indeed, forever in the lore of Bills beat history. So, thank you to we all should, of you. We should mail him the a trophy. We'll mail him a we'll mail him a jersey, <laughs> a shitty jersey, <laughs> and be like, "Here, thanks for playing." Thanks for winning the Come On Darlene Bracket Award. All right. So thank you to everyone for voting all the times that you did, staying engaged with it, encouraging our absurdity of uh, the Come On Darlene, I guess, portion of the program. We had some strange candidates make it to the Elite Eight. So I, I even forget the Elite Eight now. So. But there were some weird ones. Some yeah. of the weird ones made a run, which yeah. shows that people are paying attention. There were probably some people who thought, what the hell are you yeah, talking what about? What are you talking about? <laughs> People who turn the podcast off when we get to that portion of the program. It's also some staying power as well because the finals came down to the the entrance that happened in week one and week two, as That's opposed right. to later on in the season. So, I guess our uh, our listeners who were with us the whole way kind of saw into it and like, yep, those are worthy enough comparatively to uh, the rest of the field. So, yes, thank you, and uh, we'll, we'll do this again next year for sure. All right, so that's going to do it for us on this episode. Next week we'll talk about a bit of a different position. Uh, by the way, the NFL owners' meetings are next week, which, you know, not confirmed yet, but uh, owner, co-owner Terry Pagula is likely to talk, I want to term it, and then we'll also hear from both Sean McDermott. I would say he's guaranteed to talk. Whether he talks to us is probably the question. Yeah, if fair. he goes to the entire owners' meetings without talking, I would be shocked. Yeah, that would be something. So yes, it's a it's a likelihood that he speaks with the media, um, but nonetheless, we will be speaking with Sean McDermott, having breakfast with Sean McDermott at the coaches' breakfast, and then we'll uh, we'll end up speaking with uh, Brandon Dean as well. So, for Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, my name is Joe Biscalia. Thank thank you for listening to this off-season edition of the Bills Beat, and we will talk to you next week after the owners' meeting. See you then.